The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. All right, glad you guys are here. Hey, last week we started a new series called Crossroads. Uh, if you weren't here for it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, as usual, when we do a teaching series in our church, it's often like one big long sermon spread out over four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, 48 weeks sometimes, counting it. But uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to week one and kind of pick up the beginning of the series. But um, we're looking at these crossroads moments in life, okay? Moments that you come to and you're faced with a decision, a choice to go one way or the other, and whichever decision you make, it's going to reroute your life in a new direction. Whatever even, even a non-decision in those moments uh, is going to change the course of your life and kind of send you down a brand new path or a new direction, right? Um, they're big, defining life choice moments. And so uh, to do that, we're, we're looking at the story of the cross of Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was surrounded by all these different kinds of people, soldiers and politicians and friends and family members and enemies and all these different kinds of people. And in those encounters with those people, when they came to that cross, they were faced with these exact same type of decisions. And so we're kind of walking through, looking at a different character each week from the story or from the account of when Jesus died on the cross and looking at these crossroads moments because we face the same moments. Now, you won't face each of them just one time. They may, came up, they may come up multiple times in your life, but we all face each of them. And last week's was all about regret. It was the moment of regret, right? And we talked about when, how do you know when you're at the moment of regret? It's when you come to a decision in life where your choices are down one path is God's way and down the other path is any other way. And a lot of times that comes up in the phrase in our life, I just had to do it that way. I had to do it that way. If I didn't do it that way, I'd have gotten in trouble. If I didn't do it that way, I'd have missed the opportunity. If I didn't do it that way, I'd be stuck alone the rest of my life. And you go with some other way other than God's way and it leads to regret. And that was the case last week in the story we looked at. We're going to look at the same story again from a different perspective, different angle today. If you want to follow along in your Bible with us, we'll mostly be in Matthew chapter 27 today. Um, the words will also be on the screen, and we'll be a couple other places too, but most of the time we'll be in Matthew chapter 27. So I want to talk with you about the next kind of crossroads moment today. Before I do that, I want to ask you a question. All right? You don't have to answer out loud if you don't want to. Um, or, or if you want to, you can, if that makes you feel better, I don't know, but I <laughs> just want to ask you, have you ever felt pressure, pressure in your life? Now, I'm not talking about pressure to hit the game-winning shot or pressure to get a good grade on a test or the type of pressure you apply when you're bleeding and you want it to stop. That's not the kind of pressures I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pressure to make a decision. Have you ever been in that moment where it's like you're, on the, you're in the moment and it's like, the, the decision has to be made. Like delaying it longer isn't an option anymore. You have to choose. Do you want this job or not? You know what I mean? Do, do you want a baby or don't you want a baby? You know what I mean? It's like you, you've got to make these decisions. And I've heard a lot of like, you know, women who have been pregnant over the years talk about that. You know, I don't know. Do I want to keep this baby or have an abortion? And it's like this huge decision. And, and they get to the clinic. And up until that moment, before the procedure, they're like, 
do I or don't I? Do I or don't I? It's like this hard kind of defining moment in their life. And whatever they choose changes the way they think and feel and experience the rest of their existence. It's that kind of a decision I'm talking about. When you get to this fork in the road or this cross in the road and you can go one way or the other and it's a pressured moment. There's no delaying it any longer. You have to decide now. That's the kind of pressure I'm talking about. Have you ever been under that kind of pressure? All right, so let me give you an example of kind of where I'm going with this. So there was a a psychologist. Her name was uh, Ruth Berenda, if you want to look it up sometime. Ruth Berenda. But she was going to do this social experiment. So she went to a, a local high school and asked if they could use the high school students to conduct this experiment, which just for the record, any experiment you want to do, doing it on a high school students way better than doing it on one of us. So that's good, right? So they're going to conduct this experiment on a high school classes at this high school. And it was a simple experiment, but they were going to um, take all the students out of the classrooms. And they did this for a few hundred students. And they broke them into groups of 10. And they had a group of 10 come into the classroom. And then they would leave. And the next group would come in. And they would leave the next group. So they just did 10 at a time, right? And they gave them a simple instruction. They said, when you come in, there's going to be three charts up on the wall, up on the board, blackboards that they used to have. Now it's like a whiteboard. Now it's a smart board. I don't know, whatever. Some board. And they said, there'll be lines on these charts. And all we want you to do is just sit in the chairs and watch as the teacher points at the lines on the charts. And whenever the teacher points at the longest line on the chart, just raise your hand. That was it. That was, it. That was the whole experiment, right? So they have them come in. But what they didn't tell one student out of the ten was that the other nine they had got together with ahead of time and they said, listen, whatever you hear, whatever the instructions are, whatever the teacher says or does, when you go in the room, we want you to raise your hand when she points to the second longest line. So all ten of them come into the room. They sit down. Teacher starts pointing at lines, and she gets to the second longest line, and nine of the students raise their hand. And the one that wasn't in the know, kind of like they said, every group of ten pretty much had the same response, initial reaction. That one that wasn't in the know just looks around, kind of with a furrowed brow, a little bit of a frown, like, what are you guys doing? Looks around at everybody else, but then almost always slipped their hand up too. And they did that over and over again for about two or 300 students. And the conclusion they came up with was that 75% of the individual students that didn't know what was going on behind the scenes would raise their hand and be wrong with the rest of the class. Now, just so you don't think it's like high school students, they went back and did the experiment again with kids who were aged like six to nine. And it was almost the exact same percentage. Then they went back and did it again with adults, and it was almost the exact same 75%. 75% raised their hands for the second shortest line. So what can you draw from this study? I, I kind of walked away with two conclusions from this study. You ready? Here's what I got. You ready? The first one is this. Pressure, even if you can't see it, is real. It's a real thing, even if you can't see it, right? And then, and then observation or takeaway from that study number two I think. I think I got them both. Yeah. Most people would rather be wrong than alone. Pressure. Pressure makes you do some crazy things. Pressure in my life has made me do some crazy things. I've jumped off some things I shouldn't have jumped off of. I've gone some places I shouldn't have gone. Pressure. You may not be able to see it, but it's a real thing. So today, 
what I want to talk with you about is the second crossroads moment, the moment of pressure. And it's this kind of pressure we're talking about. So if you're a note taker, just jot down the moment of pressure. That's what we're going to talk about today. And to do that, we're going to go back through the same account of Jesus' crucifixion. But this time we're going to look at the mob, the crowd that surrounded him. At his trials, at his, as he hung on the cross, the, the crowd that was around him, the mob. And we're going to do something that my wife won't really like because she doesn't usually like this, but we're going to start at the end of the story and then we're going to kind of go back to the beginning. She doesn't like that. We're watching a movie and they start at the end and they flash back. She doesn't like that. She gets very upset with them about that. So she doesn't like That's true, right? She, does, she, she like vocally says stuff about it. I'm like, all right. I don't even know them, you know? Like, I didn't do it. But, uh, all right, so we're going to start at the end of the story. And along the way, I'm going to ask you this question And it's a question I've asked myself several times in my life. Maybe you two have asked yourself this question several times in your life. But here's the question. I'll ask it three or four times a day. But here's the question. How did I get here? How did I get here? So if you're a note taker, jot that down. It's a good question. Ask yourself that several times this week. How did I get here? And and, and I've been in some low places in my life. I've been with some people I shouldn't have been with. I've sat in some places I didn't want to be. And I remember in many of those moments, sitting or standing or looking out at the sunrise or somewhere and just thinking to yourself, how, how did I get here to this spot in life? And that's the question we're going to ask long way. So let me read you the end of the story. As the story kind of wraps up, Jesus is about to die on the cross. He's hanging there and there's this crowd of people around him that is made up of religious leaders and strangers and people from Jerusalem and people traveling from out of town that are just there for that holiday and family members and friends and enemies and a whole wide assortment of different people. But let me read you the beginning of it. It's in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 39. It's actually the end of it, I mean. Here's how it ends. Ready? The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. But he can't even save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he even said, I am the Son of God. Or can you see the scene? Jesus hanging on the cross. We kind of described all the torture and torment and abuse, physical abuse he had to go through last week, right? And now he's hanging there surrounded by this crowd, this mob. And they're all shouting out different things, making fun of him, mocking him, throwing insults at him. Hey, Son of God, come down off the cross if you're so powerful. You healed all these other people. Why can't you even heal yourself? Why can't you get off that cross? Go ahead. If you do it, we'll believe in you now. Just making fun of him, mocking him, teasing him, abusing him verbally. Can you see this scene? And I'm looking at this, and everybody seems to chime in. Jews, Romans, people from Jerusalem, people just traveling, passing through. It's weird, like to me, the people just passing by even yell stuff at him. It's like hecklers. And you're thinking, you don't even know him probably. Some of those people didn't even know him. But they're just yelling insults out at him, some of them. 
And I'm just reading through that, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder how we got here. How did it get here? And I wonder if any of those people at any moment stopped, looked around at the scene, and just thought to themselves, how did I get here? I wasn't even planning to do this a day ago. And yet here I stand throwing insults at this guy. How did I get here? How? Here's how. You ready? They came face to face with a moment of pressure. They came face to face with a moment of pressure. And in that moment... They chose the easy way instead of the right way. This is just kind of a side note. If you want to take a note, it's a good note. The easy way is rarely the right way. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? The easy way is almost never the right way. But these people come face to face with this moment of pressure, and they get to choose between the right way and the easy way and they pick the easy way. So I'm going to show it to you. We're, we're going to back up through it because it's exactly what we do when we're faced with the same moment of pressure. And, and what I mean by that is you get convinced. You get convinced in your head, whether it's real or just perceived, you get convinced that the majority's right. Or that some subset, some group of people that you follow or that you like or that you admire or that you see on TV or that you follow on TikTok, you get convinced that some subset of the population knows what's best for you. And you buy into it. It's the right thing to do, even though it's really just the easy thing to do. All right, so let me back up and I want to read you kind of how we got there. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 12. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against Jesus, him, if you're a note taker or you're underlining stuff on your Bible or in your Bible app, just underline that phrase, made their accusations. We'll come back to some of these. Made their accusations against him. Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges. Much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. He was in prison awaiting execution for having killed somebody. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of your people. Verse 18 is super awesome. He knew, Pilate knew very well, that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. If you're underlining, here's the second one to underline, that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Out of envy. You guys see the scene that's going on here, right? Pilate brings these two prisoners out, and this huge crowd's gathered around. And he's like, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? I'll release one from prison. Whichever one you want, which one do you want? And at this point in the story, you'd be thinking like, well, surely they'd leave Barabbas in jail and take Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything to any of them. Even if you did think he did something, he didn't do it to them. And then here's Barabbas who killed somebody and thinking like, well, maybe they'll leave him in prison and say, yeah, release Jesus. But something changes here. I'm going to show it to you. Look at verse 20. 
Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders, here's the next phrase to underline, persuaded the crowd, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. Can you see these guys kind of like working their way through the crowd, being like, say we want Barabbas released. Tell him to kill Jesus. Oh, oh, okay. And these people are like, well, that guy said I should do it. I guess I should. He's, he's kind of in charge here. He's one of the leaders. He's religious. He knows the law. They're the group we're supposed to listen to, right? Yeah, yeah. Say release Barabbas and, and, and tell him to kill Jesus. And, and they're kind of like persuading people in the crowd to release Barabbas and put Jesus to death. So the governor asks again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Execute him. Underline that phrase, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? And here's your next phrase. But the mob roared even louder. Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere. And that here's your next phrase. And that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water. And he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he said to them, I'm innocent of this man's blood. If you want him dead, the responsibility is yours. There's your next phrase. The responsibility is yours. In verse 25, and all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. Goodness, that went downhill quick. That went downhill fast, didn't it? And that's just how it happens for us. Bullying some other kid at school, taking some job we shouldn't take, getting into a relationship we shouldn't be in, whether it's healthy or risky, it doesn't really matter. Acting like a complete fool out in public somewhere, you know. It's amazing what the mob mentality does to us when we're at a game, right? You'd act like in a completely different way than you'd act anywhere else. It's amazing what mob mentality does to you when you see some girl or some guy just looks so attractive to you. It's amazing what the mob mentality does to you and all the co-workers are telling you you deserve this or that. They'll work you up into a frenzy, get you going, and before you know it, you're screaming in your boss's face, chewing out some referee, dating somebody that's not good for you. And none of that matters. Because in that moment, when you were faced with easy or right, you decided everybody else knew best. And that group that was telling you it's a good thing was the right person to believe. And the people that you follow online, they made a lot of sense. And the mob kind of changes you. So let me real quick just back up through that passage with you. I want to give you seven characteristics of a mob. And I want to just say at the beginning, I'll say it again at the end, but these are seven things you don't want to be true of you. And maybe you'll disagree, we'll see, okay? But I had you underline all of them. Let me give you all seven of them from that passage real quick, and you can make a list if you want. Here's some characteristics of the mob. Ready? The mob doesn't care about the facts. They don't care about the truth. The truth doesn't matter. They're making these accusations against Jesus, and Pilate's like, hey man, defend yourself. And Jesus kind of knew enough to be like, they don't care what I'm going to say. 
They don't care about the truth. Just let them talk. They're not interested in the facts of the case. But the mob also is motivated by selfishness. Did you hear that? Pilate knew. They only arrested Jesus because they were envious of him. They were jealous of him. This is what motivates the mob. The mob isn't out for your best interest. They're not trying to make the community a better place. They're trying to make their own life better. That's what mobs do. The mob is motivated by selfishness. The mob is persuasive and manipulative. They don't care who they hurt along the way. They're working through the crowd, trying to con everybody into doing what they want, aren't they? Isn't that what they're doing in this story? Isn't that what happens in our life? And you look back, you're like, that guy didn't even care about me. He was just trying to get what he wanted. I used to sell cars for a living. Some of you know that. I worked with a lot of car salespeople that fit into the mob mentality. I just want you to know that. They would say anything. I mean, and they would joke about it later. You know, it's like be standing around listening to them talk about like how they just blatantly lie to people's faces about stuff, you know. Why? Because it's the mob mentality. They're not out. They don't care how well your car performs for the next 10 years. They care about their paycheck in two weeks. So they're persuasive and manipulative. The mob also demands its own way, which just for the record, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul records is the opposite of what love is. Love does not demand its own way. But the mob demands its own way. In fact, if you disagree with the mob, then you're a loser and you hate them. That's the world we live in now, right? If you disagree with anybody, you hate them. That's what, they are, that's what everybody thinks. There's absolutely no room for disagreement anymore. The mob mentality. The mob also can't be reasoned with. Did you kind of get that in there? Pilate couldn't reason with them. He's like, what do you mean? What, what did this guy even do? Shut up, crucify him. They don't even want to reason with them. He can't, the mob can't be reasoned with. The mob will take extreme measures, won't they? Pilate was like, man, they're on the verge of a riot. It always blows my mind when somebody's like upset about like my team lost some game in a tournament or, or something in social justice isn't going my way. And, and my response to that is like, I burn a couch. Like it doesn't even make sense. Like what are you doing? I bash in like some laundromat's windows because somebody did the wrong thing four states away. Or, it doesn't even make sense, you know, but, because the mob can't be reasoned with and they're going to go to extreme measures to get what they want. That's what mobs do. Don't be confused by that. That's what happens when you get into the mob. Not, not the mob. You guys you understand what I'm saying, right? Not the mob, but like the... You know, okay. I'm in care. Apparently, I'm the only one that's thinking that, I guess. So. And then the mob also does not think about the consequences. Man, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, there was this uh, place... There, there aren't a lot of like bodies of water around where I grew up. Like here, there's water everywhere. But where I grew up, there's not very many bodies of water. But there was this one place about 25 minutes outside of town that me and some of my friends would go to sometime. We'd swim and you could um, like, you know, you like, do what kids do when they're off by themselves, not parents around, I guess. But, and then you could jump off these cliffs into the water. And so one of my buddies was like, hey, man, jump off that spot right there. I was like, ah, it's pretty high and I don't like heights very much. And it was about 25 feet off the water. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, go ahead and do it. And I was like, I gave in to the mob is what I did. 
It was easier just to give in to the mob than to like fight for what was, what was safe, safer and healthier for my life. And so I climb up this rock face and I get up 25 feet off the ground and I just jump. I just jump. And then I hit the water and I go down, I don't know, probably who knows, four or five feet, whatever, under the water. And my foot like bangs off this rock and I come up like gushing blood out of my foot, you know, because I was too stupid. And I'm not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. So I'll be in her notes later where I said bad words in church. But I was too foolish. I was too foolish to even take the time to have somebody get in the water and check how deep it was because I just got worked up by the mob. Do it, man. It'll be awesome. You know, it'll be fun. Like, go for that's what the mob does. They don't consider the consequences. They just jump. That's the characteristics of the mob from this story. And every one of us in this room has been at that moment in life. Maybe multiple moments like that in life. Here's how Luke sums it up when he records the events. In Luke 23, verses 23 and 24, he said, But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as the mob demanded. That's exactly what happens. Wow. Pilate sentences this guy to death who he thinks is innocent simply because the mob demanded it. That's what happened in this story. That's how we got to this scene at the cross where they're all yelling out insults at him. They took the easy road. They listened to the voice of these religious leaders. They might not even have cared who Jesus was or what it was about all of them. But they bought into the mob mentality. And if you don't hear anything else today, I hope you'll jot this down or take this to heart or I hope you'll carry this away with you today. Here it is. You ready? The voice you listen to will determine the future you experience. And you're going to come to these moments in life, these moments of pressure, where you get to listen to the mob or listen to the Messiah where you get to go down God's way, or you get to do what everybody else is telling you to do. And if you choose the path that everybody else is telling you to do, you're going to bust your foot on a rock. You're going to suffer the consequences. You're going to get to some spot in life, and you're going to be standing there, and you're going to say to yourself, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did my marriage get to this spot? How did my life become so chaotic? We do this all the time. We let a group of people convince us to rip on somebody else, make them feel like garbage. We take risks that are unhealthy and unwise for our life, but nobody can tell us any different. How did I get here? And I wonder if at any point in this story, these people thought that too. Because just a week earlier, the exact same mob was celebrating Jesus, welcoming him into town as he rode in on the back of a donkey saying, Hosanna, hail to the King of the Jews. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, laying their coats down on the ground for him to ride over. Just a week ago, celebrating him, and now crying out, crucify him. How'd you get there? How did this happen? How did I end up in this space where the same ones who cheered him now cry out, crucify him? But that's 
just how the mob tricks you. It's what they do to you. They deceive you into betraying all your principles and thinking you're doing the right thing when really you're just doing the easy thing. Isn't that what happens? Isn't everybody in the room able to identify some moments like that in their life? And I've seen so many people. I just want to say, if, if you think what I'm about to say is about you, I promise it's not. Because first of all, we decided to teach this like a year ago, okay? So I didn't even know you were going to be here today when I decided to teach this passage. And second of all, I just promise you, that I am, I, it is hard sometimes not to think about certain people when you're studying the Bible. But the people I was thinking about aren't even here today. So I just want you to know, like, I'm not thinking about you. If you think this is about you, that's probably just God knowing you needed to hear it today, right? But over the life of my ministry as a pastor, I have watched so many people declare their faith in Jesus and decide to follow him with their whole heart, only to almost instantly, almost instantly have this magical boyfriend or girlfriend appear out of nowhere. And just like drag them away from the Lord. Or declare their faith in Jesus and, and decide to follow him with their whole heart and, and beg him to save them, only to almost instantly have this dream job float right in front of their face that's gonna keep them out of every life group and church service the rest of their life. And I've seen so many people decide to follow Jesus and declare him to be their Lord, and then instantly somehow magically money appears in front of their face and is like, spend me on something you don't really need. And they're like, I have to, I must. Everyone's telling me I deserve it. If I don't do it, I'll end up alone. And I would rather be wrong than end up alone. And the people that looked like they loved Jesus so much now look like they only love their girlfriend. And the people who loved God with all their heart now look like they're just chasing after cash. And the people who said they were with Jesus ride or die till the end, now you can't even find them at a church service anymore. What happened? What happened? How did I get here? This is how you get there. The mob, the pressure, the moments of pressure where you make this decision to take the easy road instead of the right road. And everybody around you convinces you, go for it because you deserve it. This opportunity is too good to pass up. You don't want to end up alone, do you? Hey, you only live once. And you're like, that sounds right. I'm with them. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you follow the mob, the mob down that way. And a year later, people are like, whatever... Let me tell you what I hate the most. But I love all you guys and I want you to follow Jesus and stick with him to the end and all that. I want all that for you. You know what I hate the most about that? Because this, this is kind of selfish. Because I'm not Jesus. So I'm kind of selfish sometimes, you know. So. But what I hate the most about that is that happens a lot at our church. And then one of my kids will come to me and be like, what happened to blank? Fill in the blank with their name. What happened to, I haven't seen them forever. What do I say to them? Yeah, they betrayed Jesus is what I should say to them. I try to be a little bit nicer if I can. But what really happened was they decided to take the God they were cheering for and start screaming crucify him. That's really what happened. 
Do I say that to my seven-year-olds? My eight-year-olds? My nine? Do I, do I pull them aside? Yeah, your friends, they hate God's guts. But that's really what happened. They started going with the mob, giving in to the pressure, instead of sticking with the right thing. And now they've disappeared from the faith. God's not even on their radar anymore. And I'm left to pick up the pieces of innocent little kids being like, what happened to my friends? Well, their parents decided that Jesus sucks because that's really what happened. That's what we do when we choose to go with the mob instead of the master. I know, Stephanie, I'm not, I don't want to get angry and be like Brad when he preaches. I don't know where he's at, but somebody told Brad he sounded angry when he preached a couple weeks ago. But I'm just saying, isn't this the reality of what we're doing? What other explanation is there for it? Jesus talked about all of it. It comes up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but if you look back at this story, Jesus tells this story of a farmer throwing seed out to four different types of soil, and he calls one of them the, the thorny soil. He said, I, you throw seeds on this thorny soil, and what happens is, is the plant life grows up, but the thorns kind of choke it out. And when he explains what that means, he says, this is like the people who hear the good news about Jesus, who hear the gospel of God, and they seem to like it. They seem to accept it, but all too soon, the things the mob throws at them, the things the world offers them, chokes them out. And they die off. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Here's how, he, here's how he describes it. Do not love this world. The world is code, in case you missed that, for the mob. You guys get that, right? That's code for the mob. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from God the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. What's he saying? Anyone who turns that way, down the way God says to go, instead of following what the mob is telling you is good, those are the people that have God's love living on the inside of them. Those are the people that will live forever. Those are the people that will reap eternal life. And it isn't about what you do. It's about who you trust. It's about the voice you listen to. That's what will determine the future you experience. The moment of pressure. Here's how Paul records it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I beg you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. The mob. That's code for I don't care if everybody else is doing it. <laughs> I don't care if everybody else is treating their wife like garbage. You love her. I don't care if everybody else is living in debt paycheck to paycheck. You live wisely with your money. You don't have to have all that stuff. 
I don't care if everybody else is getting even. You turn the other cheek. I don't care if everybody else is trying to make their life the best it can be. You sacrifice for others. But it's harder. I know it's harder. But the right way is almost always the harder way. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Maybe you, right now, are at a spot in life where you could honestly stop and look at your life and just say, how how did I get here? How did I get here? If you're not, you'll be there again. How did I get here? Let's break that down. How did you get to the spot where you were willing to betray Jesus to make your life better? How did you get to the spot where the facts didn't matter anymore? Nobody could confront you on anything without you hating their guts or thinking they hate you. It's going to be your way or the highway. When did it become impossible for anybody else to reason with you without setting you off? When did you start going to extreme measures to get your own way? Deceiving and manipulating, lying to people. When did you stop? When did you start refusing to consider any consequences for the choices you make ahead of time? This is my favorite one. When somebody asks you to pray for something that they already decided to do. <laughs> like, what, what am I praying for? You know what I mean? Like they buy a speedboat that costs more than their house and they can't afford it. And they're like, oh, would you just pray that God would bless this speedboat? I'm like, bless this. What are we praying that God would make your dreams and wishes come true? Or are we actually asking him what he wants us to do? That happens all the time. Somebody's like engaged, like will you pray God's blessing over our marriage? Why don't you ask us to pray about that before you started dating? Maybe they're not even the right person to be with, you know? God's not like Disney World. We're not asking him to make all of our dreams come true. We're asking him what he wants us to do. When do we become that person that was willing to cuss and, and curse out Jesus and yell crucify him and insult him and abuse him verbally when he didn't even do anything to us? When? I don't know when it happened for you, but I know it happened at a moment of pressure, a moment when you came face to face with the mob and you started to cry out with your life, crucify him. I don't know when it happened for each of us in this room, but I do know that you can change all of it with just one word. Let me give you the word. You ready? It's not what you think, probably. Here's the word. You ready? Repentance. That sounds like a big church word. Christianese. Christianese, Tammy, that's like Japanese, but Christianese. See what I did there? Okay. Just checking. Check. Teachers don't always know stuff, so you have to check with them. That's like Christianese. I know some of you look at that and you think that's like a big word, church word. Here's what it means. You ready? Here's repentance. I'm going to show you. I'm facing this way. And repentance is when I go, you know what? No more. I'm going to face this way instead. Michael, come here a second. Will you help me for a second? Oh, we we matched our outfits for this illustration too, by the way. Just stand right here. Just stand right here, okay? This is is not going to be a stretch. This is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus, okay? Just for a second. Repentance just means that you change your mind. That's it. 
I change my mind about something. So I look at all the ways I've been going in life, all the choices I've been making, and repentance is when I say, like, no more. I'm going to change my mind about what I've been doing and thinking and saying, and now I'm going to go this way instead. Just change my mind. Now, now what keeps a lot of people from real repentance is they think Jesus is over here, right? And they're, like, all close with them. Stay there, okay? And they think they're like, ooh, the moment of pressure. I'm going to go the easy way. And ooh, I'll walk this way away from Jesus. And they get a little further away from Jesus, right? And then they keep walking a little further away. And all of a sudden, now they don't even look like a Christian. All of a sudden, they don't even look like the person they used to be. And they just keep taking step after step away from Jesus. And they think, oh, repentance? That feels so hard. Look how far I screwed this whole thing up. Like, I'm so far away from him. I... But that isn't what repentance is. And that isn't how Jesus works. That isn't the real gospel. You ready? All right, now this time follow me, okay? This is how it really works. I'm like, Jesus, now I'm going to go with the mob. I take a step. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. I take a step. This is awkward, by the way. <laughs> and you keep walking further and further away from Jesus, doing your own thing, saying things like, I have to do it this way, like last week saying things like, everybody says I deserve it, like this week. Saying, if I don't do this, I'll end up alone. I don't want to be alone. Saying, I have to take that job. The opportunity's too good. I never stop to consider what God wants from me. I never pray about it. I never ask anybody else to pray about it. I never seek God's will and his word. I just go with my gut. I trust the mob. I do what they're telling me online. That must be cool. Everyone's doing it. Repentance is when I just say, no, I'm not going to do it like that anymore. I'm just going to turn around. When you turn around, Jesus is still in the exact same spot. You don't have to do a lot of work to get back to him. He's right there waiting for you. You can go sit down. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's repentance. You change your mind. But when you change your mind and turn your direction, God's standing right there waiting to welcome you back. No punishment. No timeouts. No putting you on the shelf for a while. You don't have to earn your way back into our fellowship. <laughs> when all the stuff is we've said over the years to screw up people's minds. You repent and change the way you've been thinking. And in that moment, Jesus is right there ready to welcome you back home. That's repentance. So I just want to ask you today, if you're in a moment of how did I get here? Is this your opportunity to just turn around, to just change your mind, to just do it God's way instead of the way everybody else is telling you to do it? You can do that. You don't have to have me lead you in a fancy prayer. You don't have to sign any cards. You don't have to come down from, I don't have to smack you on the forehead, anything like that. Whatever stuff we've done in churches before, you don't need any of that. All you need to do is repent. Repent. Just change the way you've been thinking and turn to Jesus. And in that moment, from the cross, he will still die for you. He will still rescue you. He still rose from the dead for you. He doesn't make you pay him any penance. He did all that. He doesn't make you earn his favor. He earned all of it. You just repent. You just change the way you think about the way you've been living. And in that moment, he welcomes you home. You can do that right now. We're going to close our service with some prayer and one more song together. I hope during that time you'll just repent. 
God, I made this decision. It was the wrong decision. I just want to turn around and go the other way. God, I started going this way, but I can see now that was the wrong way to go. I'm just going to turn around and start going your way instead. In that moment, forgiveness, restoration, freedom. Why? Because that's just how good he is. That's just how good God is. And he wants you to know it. You might think you're way over there, and he's like, I love you just like when you were way over here. I don't love you any different. That's how good God is. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, there's people in our room right now that need to repent, need to change their mind about some of the things they've done and some of the choices they've made and some of the paths they've walked down. Would you bless them right now, God, with courage, the courage it will take to just say to you, God, I repent. I change my mind about these choices I've made. And from this day forward, I'm following you instead. Will you give them that kind of courage to take that kind of step of faith today, God? In Jesus' name, I pray for that. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.